Welcome to Simpler Bible, a daily journey to biblical understanding. Today we are in Genesis 6 through 9. I know it's the first time we've covered four chapters. We are covering as much today as we have in the previous four days, which is insane, but it was necessary. So today we're talking about the flood, Noah and the ark, right? Famous Bible story. If you have been in church for like more than five minutes as a kid, this is a story you've definitely heard. And we want to begin here in Genesis 6, 1. It says this, When man began to multiply on the face of the land and daughters were born to them, the sons of God saw that the daughters of man were attractive, and they took as their wives any they chose. The Lord said, My spirit will not abide in man forever, for he is flesh, and his days will be 120 years. Pause there for just a moment. This idea here of a, his days will be 120 years. A lot of people have argued that what God did at this point is that he capped man's lifespan at 120 years old. That is not the case. That is not what's happening here. And, and part of the reason that we know that is because after the flood, there are dozens of people that live longer than 120 years. And this is what boggles my brain. Like, I've had people tell me, well, God was saying that mankind couldn't live longer than 120 years. And I would point out, this is in my youth, in my early 20s, I would point out, well, there were people after the flood who lived older than 120 years. Abraham, for example, lived to be 175. And they're like, well, what God meant was he was going to change it slowly. I don't know why we feel the need to help explain things for God when it doesn't quite work with our system. Probably, if you're feeling the need to try to defend God or explain his system, it might mean that we have a misunderstanding somewhere. So what makes more sense in the text is that when it says God had numbered his days, numbered man's days at 120 years, what makes more sense is that there's probably 120 days until the flood. It's probably 120 days until God wipes out everybody on the planet. So uh, Abraham, after the flood, lived longer than that amount of time, lived longer than 120 years. So did Isaac. So did Jacob. All these people of the faith lived a lot longer than that. And so it can't be man's only going to live to be 120 years. Probably what it is, is 120 years till the flood. So again, verse 3. Then the Lord said, My spirit will not abide in man forever, for he is but flesh, and his days shall be 120 years. The Nephilim were on the earth in those days, and also afterwards, when the sons of God came into the daughters of men and bore children to them. These were the mighty men who were of old, men of renown. Now, I don't know what to tell you about this. Some people go, oh, well, these were angels, fallen angels, these were demons. I don't know. The Bible does not tell us a lot about it. Is there a reference in Peter to the angels who sinned? Yes, but maybe that's just the fall of the angels along with the devil. I don't know if it's their sin here in Genesis 6. Uh, one of the other things that I'll tell you is that the Nephilim were on, on the earth in those days and then even after the flood. And the only way that that could happen is that there's something supernatural and spiritual going on here because there are only eight humans who survived the flood. And so a post-flood reference to the Nephilim is Numbers 13.33. I am not smart enough to tell you who these guys are or how it all works. And I am sure that there is somebody who would love to comment on this video and fill me in on the things that I'm missing. So please go ahead and do so. I, I just, that's out of my depth. Verse 5. The Lord saw that the wickedness of man was great on the earth and that every intention of the thoughts of his heart was only evil continually or only evil all the time. So the uh, man was great on the earth and every intention, every intention of the thoughts of his heart was only evil all the time. Now, one of the things to note about that is the flood doesn't fix that. The flood doesn't make that any better. In fact, 
in chapter 8, verse 21, after the flood happens, after Noah gets off the ark, God says, I will never destroy the world by a flood again, even though man is set on wickedness from birth. And so the nature of man doesn't actually change. The flood doesn't change the, nat the nature of man. We see in Ephesians 2, 3 that all mankind, mankind are by nature objects of God's wrath. We see in Romans 5, verses 6, 8, and 10 that our nature is such that we are powerless, that we are ungodly, that we are sinners. And, and the Bible tells us in Romans chapter 3, but Romans 3 is quoting Psalm 14 and Psalm 53, that there is no one who is good, there is no one who is righteous, there is no one who seeks after God, behold, not one. So even though eight people, Noah and his wife and his three sons and their wives, come through the flood, it doesn't change the nature of mankind from that point forward. That's important to note. The Lord was sorry that he had made man on the earth, and it grieved him to his heart. So the Lord said, I will blot out man whom I have created from the face of the land, man and animals and creeping things of the birds of the heaven, for I am sorry that I have made them. So he's undoing here what he did in chapter one. But Noah found favor in the eyes of the Lord. Now look here at verse 9. Now these are the generations of Noah. I told you a few days ago to pay attention to those kinds of things. These are the generations of Noah is a rewind. This is, we saw this in Genesis chapter 2. These are, this is the generations of the creation, or this is how the creation unfolded. The generations of Noah is now rewinding, and it's giving us a little bit more detail about Noah. And it says, these are the generations of Noah. Noah was a righteous man, blameless in his generation. Noah walked with God. If there's any question about whether or not Noah is righteous, if, there is, if there's any question about whether or not Noah is a, as a man after God's heart, uh, Hebrews 11 will answer that question for us. We'll get to that in just a moment. But in Ezekiel 14, verses 14 and verse 20, Ezekiel is, is a prophet of God who is in Babylon with the captives of Israel, and he is pronouncing judgment on, on uh, sorry, the captives of Judah, and he is pronouncing judgment on Jerusalem. He's away from Jerusalem. He's a captive in Babylon. And he says, listen, even if Noah and Daniel and Job were in Jerusalem to pray for it. God would only spare Noah, Daniel, and Job. And he mentions that twice. And so he's he's saying Jerusalem is so wicked that even if these three righteous men were in it, they couldn't save the city. They could only save themselves. So Noah is considered a preacher of righteousness, a preacher of godliness, as we'll see in a moment in Peter. So Noah had three sons, Shem, Ham and Japheth, and the earth was corrupt in God's sight, and the earth was filled with violence, and God saw the earth, and behold, it was corrupt, for all flesh had corrupted the way on the earth. God said to Noah, I have determined to make an end of all flesh, for the earth is filled with violence through them. Behold, I will destroy them along with the earth. Make yourself an ark of gopher wood, make rooms in the ark, cover it inside and out with pitch, but I will establish my covenant with you, and you shall come into the ark, you, your sons, your wife, and your sons' wives with you. So these eight people, eight souls, get saved. Eight souls come into the ark. And every living thing of all the flesh, you shall bring two of every sort into the ark of all the birds according to their kinds. And also look at verse 21, and also take with you every sort of food that is eaten and stored up, and it shall be for food for you and for them. You might remember all the way back into uh, Genesis 1 and the creation that all the plants and all the the, the uh, uh, seeds of the, of the field were given to mankind and the animals for their consumption. And so this is what that verse is in reference to. Take all of these things, take some good food with you. Now, chapter seven, verse one says this, then the Lord said to Noah, go into the ark and all your household, for I've seen that you were righteous before me in this generation. Take with you seven pairs or seven, some of your translations will say, of all the clean animals, a male and his mate, and a pair of all the animals that are not clean, a male and his mate. So we, let's talk really briefly about clean animals and unclean animals. At this point, Noah is not eating meat. At this point, it's still Genesis 1 rules. At this point, 
uh, and I'll prove that to you in just a moment in chapter nine, but it, it, they're still eating, they're not eating meat. At this point, there's no standard for sacrifices. Uh, at this point, we are 1,012 years away from the law being given. We've jumped quite a, a ways forward from the story we read yesterday. So we're over 1,000 years away from a law being given about what you can eat and what you can't eat. Some of the most boring chapters in the book of Leviticus, by the way. And, and so what does it mean here that they're clean and unclean animals? Like how would Noah know what are clean animals and unclean animals if at this point there's no law for clean and unclean? Super simple, all right? Noah's not the one who wrote this book. It is attributed, uh, Genesis is attributed to Moses. And Moses wrote, tradition tells us, Moses wrote the first five books of the Bible, Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus, Numbers, and Deuteronomy for a book for the, the Israelites who were going into the promised land to have as a record of the history of God and what he had done. So the Jews who were going in, Moses, they knew about clean and unclean animals. Noah didn't. Noah was not instructed on clean and unclean animals. God tells him to take a certain type, uh, 14 of a certain type of animal into the ark and two of a different type of animal into the ark. And a thousand years later, as Moses is writing this down, he's saying to his audience who knows and understands clean and unclean animals, he took 14 of the clean animals and two of the unclean animals. And so that's what's happening here. There were no clean and unclean animals in Noah's day as far as sacrifices were concerned or as far as eating was concerned. One of my biggest pet peeves, I forget what translation it is, but there's a translation that actually adds in. It's not in the Hebrew text at all. In verse 2 here, it adds in this little phrase and it says, take 14 of every type of clean animal, those that you can use for food and sacrifices. Scratch that out of your Bible if it's in there. It's not in the original language. Editors have put that in. And that wouldn't have been something Noah understood, but it would definitely have been something that Moses, who wrote this book a thousand years after the fact, would have understood. Verse 4 says this, For in seven days I will send the rain on the earth for forty days and forty nights, and every living thing that I made I will blot out from the face of the ground. Noah did all that the Lord had commanded him, and Noah was six hundred years old when the flood of the waters came upon the earth. So all of Noah and his family, they get into the ark. The animals get into the ark. Verse 16 of chapter 7 says that God seals them in the ark. That'll be really important later because it's a picture of salvation. And, and God seals them in the ark and protects them from this coming judgment. Now, one of the things that I, I want us to, to consider is that all these people... All these people who, who died in the days of the flood, I've had people ask me, well, what about them? That seems unfair. Uh, one of the things that's super interesting is 1 Peter chapter 3, 18 through 20. It's an it's a interesting text, but 1 Peter 3, 18 through 20 says, Christ also suffered once for sins, the righteous for the unrighteous, that he would bring us to God, being put to death in the flesh, but made alive in the spirit, in which he went and proclaimed to the spirits in prison. This is the time that Jesus was dead because they formerly did not obey when God's patience waited in the days of Noah. So Christ went and preached. Christ went and preached to the souls who were in prison, to those souls who had not obeyed God in the days of the flood. What that means, what the sermon was, I have no idea, but God went and spoke to those who died in the days of the flood. So it says here in Romans 8.1, sorry, we're not in Romans, we're in Genesis 8.1, that, uh, that God remembered Noah. And all the beasts and the livestock that were within the ark. And God made a wind over the, to blow over the earth and the water subsided. One of the things that's really important for us to understand about the story of, of Noah is that it points forward to the story of Christ. Hebrews 11, we mentioned that a couple of days ago or yesterday maybe. And in Hebrews 11, it says, verse 7, it says, faith, sorry, it says, Noah, 
by faith, being warned about a judgment as of yet unseen in holy fear, built an ark for the salvation of his household, through which the rest of the world was condemned, and he was declared righteous. And so let's break that down for a little bit. Noah was warned about a flood that was coming, was warned about a judgment that was coming, in holy fear, built an ark for the salvation of his household, by which he and his family were called righteous, and the rest of the world was condemned. And, and so it's a similar picture to what we have in Christ. Uh, we have been warned about a coming judgment. There is, there is Christ. There is an ark, if you will, that we can enter into for our salvation. And by faith, we enter into Christ. And Ephesians 1, 12 and 13 said that God seals us into Christ by the Holy Spirit. And you'll remember 7, 16 of Genesis says that God sealed Noah and his family in the ark. And we are rescued from the death and destruction. We are literally brought to a new place. We're made new. And so this is a picture of, of the, the beauty of salvation. Come down to the end of chapter 8. In verse 20, it says this, Then Noah built an altar to the Lord and took some of every clean animal and some of every clean bird and offered burnt offerings on the altar. Some people will say, see, he knew what was clean and what was unclean. Maybe, uh, or maybe he just had a lot more of them. You know, remember, Moses is writing this a thousand years later. Verse 21, And when the Lord smelled the pleasing aroma, the Lord said in his heart, I will never again curse the ground because of man, for the intent of man's heart is evil from his youth. And we talked about that a moment ago from chapter 6, I believe it was verse 5. And so chapter nine starts this way. And God blessed Noah and his sons and said to them, be fruitful and multiply, fill the earth. Here we have the same command that God gave to Adam and Eve in Genesis 1, 27 and 28. Same command to be fruitful, multiply and fill the earth. And then look at what he says here. Uh, he says, every moving thing, this is verse three, every moving thing that lives on the ground shall be food for you. And as I gave you the green plants, I now give you everything. So everything that moves on the ground is food for you. As I gave you the green plants, now I give you everything. So after the flood, before the flood, eat, eat the plants. After the flood, eat whatever you want. At this point, again, there's still no law saying what you can and can't eat. And so uh, when Noah got on to the ark, he was, he was loading it up with vegetables and he's getting off the ark. And now he gets to have some steak, which is nice. And he tells them not to eat anything that has the blood still in it. And then he says this, he, he again says, be fruitful and multiply, team on the earth and multiply in it. And then God said to him and his sons with him, behold, I establish my covenant with you and with your offspring after you. So he's reestablishing his covenant and every living creature that is with you, the birds and the livestock, every beast that, of the earth. And he goes, here's the covenant, verse 11. I establish my covenant with you to never again sh shall all the, wow. I establish my covenant with you that never again shall all flesh be cut off by the waters of the flood and never again shall there be a flood to destroy the earth. That's true. Never again will God destroy the, the world by a flood. But the flood is used to warn us about the coming judgment of God for those who are not people of faith. And we see this in 2 Peter chapter 3 beginning in verse 1. And he's talking about uh, the patience of God, that God is being patient, that the prophets have warned about the coming judgment of God. And he, he says this, People are asking, this is first, sorry, 2 Peter 3, 4. They're saying, where is the promise of his coming? For ever since the fathers fell asleep, all things are continuing as they were from the beginning of creation. They deliberately overlook this one fact, that the heavens existed long ago and that the earth was formed out of water and through water by the word of God. And that by means of this, by means of the water, the world was then, then existed, was deluged with water and perished. So there's the reference to the flood. By the same word of God, the present heavens and earth that now exist are being stored up for fire, being kept until the day of judgment. And so he uses the, the, Peter uses this picture of the flood of Noah as a warning to us in this present day 
he goes, look, there's a coming judgment. The, the world won't ever be destroyed by a flood again, but it, was de- it will be destroyed by a fire. And he is saying there is still time to put your faith and your confidence in Jesus Christ. And so even the picture of the flood uh, helps us to better understand the picture of Jesus. And remember that that is the case in all of this. The, the Bible isn't just a book filled with stories so that we can know neat little anecdotes. The Bible is the redemptive work of God through Jesus Christ, and it is compiled together so that we can better understand Jesus. Join me tomorrow for Genesis chapter 11. I look forward to it, and I'll see you then. Thank you so much for journeying with us today at Simpler Bible through another section of Scripture where we come to know and understand God a little bit better. Look, if you're brand new to Simpler Bible, we have all sorts of resources available for you. Go to our website, simplerbible.com, and there you can find these videos, you can find our podcast, you can find links to our social media, and you can even find a blog post with additional scriptures if you want to go into a little bit more study than we had time to cover in this podcast and video today. We hope that this tool will be exactly that for you, a tool. Not something that replaces your daily walk with God, but something that enhances your daily walk with God and helps you to know and enjoy Him more. Thank you so much for being part of this, and we'll see you again tomorrow.